Well, <clears throat> we are continuing our Christian leadership series on the book of 2 Timothy, and uh, if you have been with us these past few weeks, you might have noticed a certain pattern taking place of not this but that. Not this but that. Not dying embers, but a blazing fire of faith. Uh, not timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. Not ashamed of the gospel, but willing to suffer for it. Not this, but that. And Paul's pattern uh, of, in 2 Timothy reminds me of a conversation that Ash and I once had uh, with a longtime bachelor um, who had, uh, his wife was sharing this story after been married a number of years. Uh, when he had first met his wife, she had a disease that affected her vocal cords. She was unable to, uh, uh, to speak. And so, uh, the, 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 uh, the man had, was a bachelor, and he had a really ratty house that, uh, that he was, they were looking to move into. And so, um, somewhat disturbed, she was trying to figure out, you know, how can we clean this place up? And, and uh, so, she resorted to pictures. And, uh, and what she would say, or what she would, you know, indicate to him is, this is your old house, this is your new house. This is the old house with all the ratty furniture and cobwebs and everything else. And this is your new house. It's clean and it has, you know. And so she tried to set a vision for him of what the new house might look like. Not this, but that. And um, so Ash and I laughed because uh, we'd probably gone through a similar sort of thing, even though uh, we didn't have to use pictures or anything, but uh, my old house was pretty ratty and needed to be cleansed, and, and uh, we sort of went through the, the not this, but that. Well, uh, Paul continued with Timothy, said, uh, not deserting Paul, but suffering with him. Not deserting, but suffering. Uh, not anything we have done, but grace. Uh, not death, but immortality, not this, but that. Well, my hope for us this morning, as we think about not this, but that, is that God's word will so change us that we will be more the men and women of God that we're intended to be, that we'll have a bigger vision for what God intends for us, and that we will uh, serve God with joy. Well, this last week, we started it, and, uh, and this week, we're sort of continuing through six images that Paul offered to Timothy. So Paul offered six images to Timothy to kind of understand what the Christian life should look like. Um, it shouldn't look like this, but it should look like that. And so I encourage you to write down, if you're, if you're a writer and a note taker, write down these six words, the, the six images that are given. The first one was a soldier, and it's up there on the screen there, an athlete, the second one, a farmer, third one, a worker, and a vessel is the fifth one. The last one is a servant. Six different images. So as we um, think about these six different images that Paul offered to Timothy in order that he might more fully grow to be the man of God and Christian leader that he ought to be, my hope is that um, these images will also help us 
to lead well, personally, and to, to, uh, to find leaders that we can follow at LifeSpring Community Church uh, and grow leaders uh, for the days to come. Um, one more thing uh, I want to uh, add before we jump into the images themselves, and it's this. Uh, as we are pursuing um, future leaders, uh, we cannot look for perfection in them. No one can meet that mark. We're all on a journey towards Christ. I'm on a journey towards Christ, complete with sins and blemishes right now. Uh, and if everything were laid bare, you'd be like, ew, yuck. But it's, it's true. All of us have things that need to be changed. We need to grow in Christ. We need to pursue Christ. And that's all we're asking. We're asking for people that are meeting qualifications in Scripture, and they're pursuing Christ. Um, so as we go through here, um, if you're putting yourself up to the standard or you're putting someone else to the standard, remember what we're trying to do is grow and move towards that trajectory. It's a journey. So the first image that we had, uh, the first three images from last Sunday were the, were the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And the soldier goes through suffering and hardship even though civilian life is easier. He's willing to go through suffering and hardship, even though civilian life is easier. The soldier does not want to be distracted by these civilian affairs because he wants to please his commanding officer, who is Christ in this case. So a single-minded devotion to Christ, willing to go through suffering. So we said the character qualifications represented here are perseverance, single-mindedness, and a heart orientation towards commanding officer, Jesus Christ. And so the question for each of us is, how can we grow as a soldier of Christ? How can we grow as a soldier? I'll go through these first three a little quicker than later ones because we did refer to them last Sunday. The second image we had was an athlete that competes for the victor's crown, in this case, sort of a, a wreath of, of uh, vegetation that goes on the head, not a, not a gold crown. Uh, the crown symbolizes victory, but it's meaningless if the athlete breaks the rules. And so uh, in this case, the Christian needs to run the race uh, according to... now. Here I want to be a little careful, not uh, legalistic rules, but um, the rules of Christ, which are humility, love, truth, hope, faith, those sorts of things that are, uh, that are brought up in Scripture. Um, if our life is not a life of integrity, then it's not a life of following Christ. So how are we doing with this? How, uh, how can we grow as a Christian athlete? Uh, and then uh, the, the uh, character qualifications for the Christian athlete are spiritual integrity, discipline, and vigor. So third, the third thing we mentioned last week was the farmer. So the farmer uh, sows, waters, and shares the harvest. In our context, uh, Paul sowed seeds of faith. He watered them. And then he, he often talks about sharing in the harvest. He's delighted and, and um, the number of people have come to Christ and the future hope that they have and considers that part of his reward. The character qualifications of the farmer are steadiness, hard work, sowing, and watering. So how are we doing as a farmer? How can we grow in that area? Now, taken together, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer inform what it is to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. They provide uh, images for abstract concepts. 
character qualifications, single-minded perseverance, spiritual integrity, discipline, vigor, hard work, faithfully planting and sowing, and in each case, there was a reward. Uh, there was the approval of the commanding officer, the victor's crown, and the share of the crops. And so last week, I said, be a soldier, be an athlete, be a farmer. But now we're jumping into three new images, and the, and the first one is a worker. And so the worker, uh, the, we wonder what type of adjective should we use for the worker? So if we have uh, a suffering soldier, a competing athlete, and a hardworking farmer, what should the worker be? And, and different uh, ideas are offered. As I was looking through commentaries, there's a diligent worker, there's an approved worker, uh, there, there are different ideas, but the one that I want to plant for us this morning is this. I think this is a specific type of worker in this passage, and I think it is a word worker. We should be word workers. And here's what I mean. If we jump into 2 Timothy 2.14, Paul exhorts Timothy to warn the people of the church before God against quarreling about words. Word workers, be careful about quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. What does he mean by that? Well, I'm going to skip over, if you're following your Bibles, to verse 16, where Paul returns to the same topic and he calls it godless chatter in the NIV, irreverent babble in the ESV, and whatever this is, it is words of, uh, devoid of moral and ethical value, godless words. Uh, not honoring to God, they breed controversy, uh, and Paul says that this type of speech makes those who indulge in it ungodly and spreads like gangrene. So it's nasty stuff and it multiplies. This type of, these type of words. And so I believe that, um, that there is a specific, well, there is a specific instance Paul has in mind. We'll share that, and then we'll kind of elaborate on, on how we can think about that for ourselves. So in verse 17 and 18, Paul gives the example of Hymenaeus and Philetus, who swerve from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened. They're spreading controversies, saying this, the resurrection's already happened. Now, how can the resurrection have already happened if we're still here, but maybe there was a spiritual resurrection that took place, and in the Greek philosophy, sometimes the, the body was considered bad and the spirit good, and so they, the, the Greeks took that one of two ways, either the, the Stoics, where they try to control the body a little bit more, or, or the uh, Epicureans, where they said, well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, Let, let's eat, drink, and do merry, and do whatever we want with our bodies. So, uh, but either way, it, it's unbiblical and causes problems for our faith. And so we believe that's what's taking place with, with these two teachers. And, um, and before we jump into the, the, uh, the particular uh, of there, because we don't probably have that same exact scenario taking place here, uh, I, I want to say that uh, godless chatter, I think we can put in the category of words that don't have God in them. So... The natural question is, is God in your words? Is God in your words? If we're gossiping about others, is God in our words? If we're saying something negative about somebody else, is God in our words? Um, if we are um, being insensitive, is God in our words? If we're using crudity, is God in our words? 
And, and I've had that question, does God care about crudity? Actually, it's biblical. God does care about crudity. He says, don't do it. Don't, don't, uh, don't speak in that way. Because it doesn't help others. If God is in our words, then our words are life-giving. They're actually, our words are positive. Our words should impart life to other people. So I believe um, there's a general category, a general bucket of godless chatter that we should avoid. And then there's probably a more specific godless chatter that we should avoid, and it's this. If we think about types of false teaching today, and I'm just going to pick on one because there are many. Uh, if we said, uh, let's look at prosperity gospel, for example, and we said, well, uh, the, the type of theology that if I, if I were to say to you, um, if you are following God, you will have your best life now. You will, you will have the most... Um, the, the, all the good things will take place for you if you are following God. If you put $10 bills in the offering plate, you'll get hundreds back. You know, those, those sorts of thoughts. Now, it is true that uh, in some sense that God blesses us with prosperity, and, uh, but there are people that are going to suffer much of their life. And how do we preach the, the prosperity gospel to them? And was it prosperous for Jesus to die on a cross? It doesn't seem prosperous to me, not physically. But there's something far greater than physical prosperity that Scripture has to say. And when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, there is a deeper and more powerful promise that we have. And we may, it may result in physical um, blessings, but Paul is calling Timothy to suffer here. It may also result in suffering at various times. But what we know is that God is faithful and that his vision for us, for this life and for the future, is greater than we could ever imagine. And at the end, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. In the end, we will have more joy than we've ever known. The trajectory of our life is greater than it ever could be otherwise. Because Jesus died on the cross, our sins are nailed there with him, so we could be adopted as God's children, so our citizenship is in heaven, not just here on earth. It's bigger than the prosperity gospel. Now, we could say, uh, we could talk about many different kinds of theology, but what I want to say is this. Um, there are two different ways of looking at Scripture. One is called eisegesis, and the other one is exegesis. And what these words mean is if a teacher comes and says, I have an idea, and I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture, and I'm so excited about my idea, and look, this and this and this supports it. But if someone were to cut up all the words I ever said in my life, they could make me say anything. And they could do the same with you. If they were to just take little phrases and snippets and whatever, and they can do the same thing with the word of God. But that's eisegesis. Exegesis, on the other uh, hand, is taking this book and saying, you know, I, I'm wondering about something. I want to know about this particular topic. and I want to be informed by Scripture and digging in and seeing what Scripture actually says. Or by going through it, as we often do, going through a book and learning what we can from that particular book, because what the original authors meant and what the, the divine author, God, means is more important than what comes out of my head. I want my character and my body and my mind, my spirit, to be shaped by the word of God. And that's the direction we need to go. And so if we want to be word workers, we need to be concerned with what the word says. And we need to be concerned that our words impart life to others. 
and bless others. So on your little sheet, am I a word worker? What type of word worker am I? Well, Paul um, wraps that little section up and he says, um, nevertheless, this is in verse 19, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with the inscription, the Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Not wickedness, but confession in the name of the Lord. Not godless chatter, but words of life through scripture. Well, we move into the next section, which talks about vessels. And uh, I'm not talking about a vessel on the ocean or, uh, or uh, those types of vessels. Some of your, your versions will talk about instruments or vessels or pots or different, different things. But the, the idea is this. In a large house, there are articles not only of silver, uh, gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some instruments for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. That's the old NIV. And the idea is that there's a large house. And perhaps this large house is the house of God. Uh, it's, uh, it's a parable, so it's kind of hard to, hard to tell exactly what that is. But what's very clear is that there are different sorts of pots different sorts of vessels. And if we're to say, you know, what type of vessel, if I was a pot, what kind of pot would I want to be? Would I want to be a chamber pot? Or would I want to be the pot that somebody can cook and drink out of? What kind of pot do you want to be? What kind of, what kind of vessel do you want to be for God? And so when we think about that, okay, we are, we are meant to be a cleansed vessel. We are meant to be a sanctified vessel. The word sanctified means holy, set apart for God. What does that mean for us personally? And I, I think here's where the rubber hits the road. Um, when we go to do our taxes this next year, doing it in such a way that it is honoring to God as a cleansed vessel. When we have relationships with um, our spouse, is that the only relationship that we have with our mind or anything else? If we're single, are we able to act in a way that is godly? Um, if we're in a relationship with someone we're not married, are we acting in a godly manner? towards him or her? Are we sexually pure? Are we speaking in a way that does not tear other people down, but builds them up? Do we have unrighteous anger? And we could go on. But you get the idea. There are so many different areas. Um, what do we watch on TV? What are we putting in our minds and and hearts? What are we listening to? All those sorts of things. Is there anything that needs to be cleansed? That's the idea. In large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but of wood and clay. 
Would you rather be the, the pot that someone cooks or drinks out of, or would you rather be the chamber pot that somebody does something else in? And part of it is being willing to cleanse ourselves of what is not of God. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. You need to be that cleansed vessel, that holy, sanctified vessel. In addition to all these other things, it is important for you to go through that process and do that for yourself. And then he follows this up by telling him to flee youthful lusts and to pursue righteousness. Now, um, as we think of youthful lusts, I think sometimes that just gets turned into um, uh, sexual lusts. But I don't think that's the only thing that's being spoken of right here. Um, I believe uh, it says, flee evil desires of the youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Um, I, I think that, that this is broader than that. And, and in the context here, it may even be uh, sometimes when we're younger, we're tempted to be a little harsher than we might be otherwise, or we're tempted to be a little too quick to make decisions. And, and, uh, and said, you know, try to uh, grow towards Christian maturity. Try to grow towards Christian maturity. So it would include things like sorry, sexuality, but it would include much more than that as well. Be the cleansed vessel. Now the last image, and I'll have to go uh, relatively quick through this, is the servant. And uh, the servant, this is an interesting thought because um, it says uh, in verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. What are the opponents teaching? The opponents are teaching that the resurrection's already happened. Wouldn't you want to just punch them in the nose? The opponents must be gently instructed. The Lord's servant must be gentle. Why? Well, he goes on. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The idea is that uh, if, if we are argumentative and if we are really um, heated in our argument, we're not going to get anywhere. And we really want everyone, including false teachers, to come to the Lord. And repentance means turning our hearts and minds not from false, teach or from false teaching to uh, what is in God's word. And in order to do that, we need to be able to have conversations and people need to know that we love them and care about them as people. And so, brothers and sisters, as we're sharing about Christ's love with other people, and sometimes things get heated and somebody disagrees with us on a particular topic, let's not get into it with them. It's okay to have a conversation and an intellectual conversation and if, it's, if, 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 if it, they are words of life. But sometimes people just want to quarrel. And we don't need to do that. There's no benefit of it. In fact, there, there can be harm and so we just want to walk away from that and say, I love you, disagree with you. Um, and then there may be an opportunity to talk at another time when they're more receptive. Um, so a servant must be gentle. Are we gentle servants? Or are we a little harsh in the way that we, um, we handle things? 
Well, should I get rid of the next 12 pages of my message here? Here's, here's my prayer for all of us. Um, my prayer is that God's word will change us. I pray that we will indeed be word workers. I pray that we will cleanse ourselves of what is unrighteous, whatever that, whatever that takes, and that we will be gentle servants. Uh, please bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your word, uh, which is powerful and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword. We are grateful for it. And uh, thank you, Lord, for this church, for each man and woman here. Pray for your, your blessing upon them. I pray that they will chase after you with everything they've got. In Jesus' name, amen.